You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. It's uh, very important to be with conscious African women and men. And I'm very excited to see Conscientization 101, to see Sister Zari there and the brother James and uh, to see that you have started an organization to conscientize the world, especially African people about what's really going on in this world. Conscientization 101. A lot of these people right now in this conscious, local conscious movement, they're not actually living in that, in that lifestyle. Fakers. That's why, you know, obviously yourself, we're on the same sort of frequency. That's why you're listening to the same things I'm listening to because we're sharing that same sort of thought. We want the same sort of things and a lot of people don't want the same sort of things. Even yourself, what you're doing now is for the people. So everything is people-based. Globally conscientizing. What's making me proud of what um, this kind of connection here is that, you know, no matter what is said, no matter what is done, um, you, you leave that, you leave listening to our music with a feeling. The same way we're going to leave this conversation with a feeling. And um, that is the most important thing you know, for, for I and I, the, the vibe and the energy and the feeling that you leave with. Because you might not remember every lyric, but you're going to remember the feeling. So um, that's, 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 that's really important and that's what I'm getting from what you're doing. Doing, doing, doing. everybody and welcome once again to the Conscientization 101 podcast. I am your host for today's episode, Zari Sundiata, and we are very excited to be airing this episode because we had the opportunity to talk to Brother Ezra Aharon again um, back on the show about his new book, The Sovereign Psyche, Systems of Chattel Freedom versus Self-Authentic Freedom. Ezra, um, if you haven't listened to our previous podcast where we talked to him about his first two books, um, that was episode six. So we talked to him about his first two books, Pond Sovereignty, Tharping Black Perspectives on Americanization, Africa, War, and Reparations. And we talked to him about Sovereign Evolution, Manifest Destiny from Civil Rights to Sovereign Rights. And um, those were really good. That was a really good conversation. If you have not heard that one, we suggest you go back and listen to that one because that'll that'll help you be able to kind of see where he's going with his with uh, his analysis of sovereignty. Um, and if you haven't heard it though, um, Ezra is an adjunct associate professor at Delaware State University and a business and political consultant on African affairs. That that way you know who he is. So. Um, 
like I said, go back, listen to that first episode. Uh, the new book, The Sovereign Psyche, that's his latest installment. And in this, in this, in this series, his series, it's like a series, three books, um, he identifies the necessary intellect and willpower that materializes what he defines as the three dimensions of sovereignty, which are self, self-authentic freedom, government, and development. And that's the basis of his book. But in the podcast, um, since this is, you know, we feature excerpts. So specifically throughout the podcast, we're talking to him in detail about his concept of freedom to freedom from. It's a very, int- it's a very interesting concept. It's a very important concept, but we get into it. I'm not going to give you any spoilers. You can listen to it. And we define sovereignty, and we discuss the unprincipled relationship that America has with African people in America as it stems from Jeffersonian democracy. And you'll, I mean, once you hear the episode, all that'll make perfect sense to you. Um, the dialogue took place on July 23rd, 2016, and since this is an excerpt, the unabridged version is over 90 minutes long. We will definitely let you know how to get the unabridged interview at the end of the show. And um, otherwise, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And here we go with our discussion with Brother Ezra Aharon. Aharon. So we have on the line uh, Ezra Aharon. And we are going to talk to him today about his new book, The Sovereign Psyche, Systems of Chattel Freedom versus Self-Authentic Freedom, Volume 1. And how are you today? We already asked you, but how are you? I'm good. I'm really appreciative of you all inviting me, and I'm glad to be on. So thanks very much. Thank you for coming on. Um, We really were excited about this interview because there's so much involved in this book. So we're just going to get right into it. Um, The first question we have is about the book's introduction. And it begins with with you analyzing a speech given by the British Prime Minister Winston, Winston Churchill entitled The English Empire of the Mind. Given, in, given on September 6, 1943 at Howard University. Harvard University. Oh, sorry. Given on September 6, 1943 at Harvard University. Uh, Churchill states that the empires of the future are the empires of the mind. Can you let the listening audience know what Churchill meant by the empires of the mind and how it relates to what you define as the three dimensions of sovereignty, which are self-authentic freedom, government, and development. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thanks for the question. Churchill was making this speech, and he made that comment uh, on the heels of World War II, based on Hitler's uh, operations in Europe. Hitler was beginning to do to them what they had been doing all along mm-hmm. in places like Africa. When I say them, I mean European. And so when Hitler turned around and began to uh, turn his forces on fellow Europeans. Uh, It set up an alarm that, hey, the world is changing. And so the notion of uh, colonialism, the notion of segregation, that was a period of time when Europeans began to take a second look at how structurally 
those things were operating and the degree to which they could switch forces and change the way they operate in the world without diminishing their own powers. And so Churchill was saying that no longer would Europeans gobble up territory and no longer would they violate the territorial integrity of nations that should otherwise have their own uh, structural sovereignty. He was saying now the new system would involve intellect, that how you would operate sovereign systems and put sovereign ideals in place, whereby you don't need a military uh, standing forces and so forth in these colonial places, but you would control them, remote control from the inside out, from the outside in, that now you would use your institutions and your systems to be the governing powers as opposed to having uh, armed forces and as opposed to uh, overseeing nations by force. And at the same time, in conjunction with saying empires of the future, the empires of the mind, he also said that um, their experience, I'm paraphrasing now, their experience, gay meaning uh, Anglo-European, uh, has taught them that what is necessary is that, that they would need uh, stronger, more efficient, more rigorous institutions that they would have to create. and so as a means of enforcing that, if you look at the way world institutions were formed after or during and after World War II, you would see that uh, at that point in time, they put different agencies in place, whether it was the World Bank, the IMF, uh, the League of Nations became the United Nations. All of these structural adjustments were made uh, in efforts so that the empires of the future would be empires of the mind. And I would argue that their intellect, their institutions, those are the things that we are battling against that, as I say in the beginning of the book also, that we are in a battle of intellectual and institutional warfare yes. that most black people are unaware of. That's right. Yeah, that's true. That's true because <laughs> anyway, we go. We, that's the opening salvo, okay? And I want y'all, listen, to the audience, take that in. I know y'all like, yeah, that's right. But no, that's right. That is key. That is quintessential. I'm gonna go into the next question, and this is question two, okay? In the book, you state conventional history portrays overly simplistic and linear versions of history, which purport that enslaved Africans fought for freedom to pave the way for present generations to vote, integration, and become citizens. But is that an accurate characterization of why most Africans resisted slavery and engaged in armed revolution? One thing, however, is certain. Enslaved Africans did not wage a one-dimensional struggle for freedom to become Americans, nor did their definition of freedom restrict them to remaining within America's borders, end quote. Um, one of the things you accurately argued in our last dialogue and, and breakdown in this book is that freedom 
is like a moving target that evolves, that evolves with geopolitical speed of each historical era. I want everybody to understand that, listen audience. Think about what he just said. It's a moving target. Just like I heard somebody say, I'm free because I can go to Popeye's on Tuesday night when it's 69 cents in Texas. That's what it is right now. 69 cents for dark meat. It is. It really is. So that's <laughs> somebody told me that was freedom. So no, subjective. Yeah, people say that all the time. So I want y'all to think about that. Every if you ask an African in America what's freedom, you'll get a thousand million different answers. I said a thousand million different answers, and that's so true. So if we understand the conception of freedom is subjective then what is the connection between this moving target definition of freedom and the ahistorical narrative of progress of Africans in this country to merely become citizens? And I guess what I'm trying to ask, how do these narratives uh, uh, bolster that empires of the mind when we think in this one-dimensional uh, narrative? Mm -hmm. Well, I present the concept that I call freedom to, freedom from, which is the freedom to become Americanized as well as the freedom to be free from Americanization. Yes. And so intellectually, uh, you have to understand that those two frameworks existed and you have to understand the significance of their impact in history. And also understand that we have this one-dimensional understanding of freedom today in terms of what Africans fought for. And mm -hmm. that is a misconception. It's misleading. It's inaccurate. It's distorted. But it's to feed into the narrative that uh, the sentiment should be a great yearning a great love, a great sense of nationalism with Americanization, which is why it's interesting, too, that you'll find in textbooks, uh, and, and I know particularly the assigned textbook that uh, we use at, at Delaware State, it takes the liberty very early in the chapters to begin to refer to Africans as African-Americans. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> Right. So, oh and I always challenge, I always challenge my my students in one course that I teach that uh, deals with the African American experience to 1865. Uh, at what point do they consider it's accurate to call the people wholesale African American? Exactly. And so I tell them whenever you, it's like a buzzer, hit the buzzer whenever you think we get to that point. <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> Let let me know when you know <laughs> who's going to ring in first, who's going to ring in last. So uh, it's two prong. You have to understand that the fight for freedom was one a fight against slavery, absolutely. Two a fight against Americanization as well. But with each generation of enslaved Africans, uh, each each generation became more and more and more. Americanized to the point where today you have uh, 40 million African people in America who get up in the morning, yawn, look in the mirror, and say they're American. Their relation to Africa is almost dissolved o over time in that, you know, the sense of allegiance or sense of loyalty or sense of commonality with anything African, whether it's African food, whether it's African culture, whether it's knowing 
the history of a particular African country or being able to call Africa, you know, uh, who knows how to call Africa, you know? Who's ever called them? And exactly. then you talk to people in Africa, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the term African-American, you know, is it a singular identity like African-American or does it represent a dual identity like, say, uh, an Italian-American or a Jew Jewish-American who, when they say that, you know, they have ties to uh, 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 Italy, ties to Israel, or they may have dual citizenship. Uh, and and so there's that duality as opposed to you saying African-American just as a physical characteristic of yourself. You're yes. African, you know, your hair is nappy. You're African because your skin is dark. So yes. that's African. But it could be like your freckled face or you're tall or left-handed. Yeah. You know, you're a tall American, a freckled face American, a left-handed American, but you don't have allegiance to freckled people or tall people or whatever. That's right. That's you know, right. So yeah, the same yeah. thing with, with African-American. What do we mean when we say that? So... The early Africans who were enslaved certainly had a sense of their own sovereign identity. They came from different African places, African constructs, and they came to the Americas with that sense of self-identity. And so by no means were they going to wake up in the morning and feel as though oh, my goodness, the struggle now is to vote. The struggle is to yeah. become American. The struggle is to be the first. To no, that was not the sentiment at all. And anyone who suggests that, you know, either they're being disingenuous or they're naive of the reality. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the struggle must be seen in that way, that it was, A, free to be free from slavery, but be as well free to be free from Americanization. But that altered along the way throughout time and in, in, in history. But you can't erase the reality, the fact that uh, the struggle for freedom was too prone. And that's why I talk about freedom to freedom from. Yes. And I also think it's very instructive in terms of the empires of the mom because uh, I, just looking at how French colonialism worked as opposed to, like, British colonialism, the first thing the French did in Martinique and Guadeloupe was, like, say, you know, these are just overseas territories, like they did in Angola and stuff like that. Mm. So that there's no crime, right? If we enslaved African people, well, they won't say the enslaved African people. What do they say? They say the African slaves. That's a part of our ontology, right? So, but let's say if they said they enslaved African people, well, guess what? There's no more African people anymore. I mean, Zara, you, you, you had a, a Jewish person, a Jewish person oh, yeah. who was happy to call himself a Jewish person, had ties to Israel, and go sit up there and tell you, you ain't no African no mm -hmm. more. But he, he said did, that was a long time that ago. Was long, it was a long time ago. Because she said, I'm African. But the Jew can say, oh, I remember when Pharaoh was messing with my people. I can say, that's a long time. Long time, 500 years ago is not a long time ago. And... For those of us who don't understand another book that you talk about in this book, Chancellor Williams, Destruction of Black Civilization, those first forced migrations, when we got invaded by Asians, those created new ethnic groups now and stuff like that because we were forced and dispersed, again, migrations on the continent. So we got to look at this same thing over here. Like you said, it means something to a Jewish American, a Chinese American, 
because like that ties to the homeland. But then that all bears down to the Berlin Conference, 1884-85, when they carved it up and they defined it. When somebody colonizes you and enslaves you, they define you for their benefit. Their benefit. Like you said, that moving target got everybody saying, I am what I think I am. What, you a leprechaun? No, 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 no. But I think that's a very good point. I'm sorry. Ezra, your book does spark feelings of a buoyancy in me. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, uh. Uh, you mentioned the French. And after Napoleon was defeated in Haiti, uh, he no longer needed the Louisiana Territory, so hence he sold it to Jefferson. But say the French were not defeated in Haiti, and Napoleon not only just wanted the Louisiana Territory, but perhaps he might wanted to expand eastward. Yes. To where the to where America was. Then, had he been successful, because we speak English and are orientated to the British, because the British were the greatest colonizers. That's right. But you know they defeated. They bought out the French. They defeated the Spaniards in places like Florida, and so they had manifest destiny and expanded westward. But had Napoleon had different ideas, and history would have the pendulum of history would have just swung a bit differently, and Napoleon was strengthened. He could have perhaps defeated the Americans and took over those territories. And I would be giving you this interview in French. There you go. So, mm-hmm. so I'm mm-hmm. saying. The notion of black people in America being married to a particular identity, that's something that really needs to be well thought out. Yes. Oh, you, want to, you want to say something? Go ahead. Uh, well, it was kind of a point like uh, that you were making before, uh, James, about, you know, this whole idea of... Um, of being African versus being American and you as like the whole subject of what we're talking about. And it's funny because uh, we were talking the other day about weird situations that you can be in with other black people when like, for instance, when you tell them and you recognize you're still African, you don't change. You're not a gremlin, you know, you didn't change cause uh-huh. you ate after midnight. <laughs> you're still an African. And right. I told this one guy, I said, I'm an African. I don't remember what our conversation was. And he was like, oh, for real? This was a black person, right? <laughs> he's like, uh-huh. oh, really? You're an African? Like, because Africans are only from the continent, right? So it's okay. like, you, where did your surprise come in at? Like you said, do you think that the first Africans who came here would have responded that way to somebody else saying that they were an African? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's that crazy. Right. That's a, you have to consider that Africans came from a multiplicity of places in Africa. Yes. Uh, yeah. And as, as far as East Africa. So if uh, various black people were to have DNA tests, it would not be uh, odd to find that someone has roots that are planted in, West, in East Africa. Mm-hmm. So uh, the fact that we were not a homogenized group of people when we came here. And we came from different places, and when the freedom to be free from Americanization took place and Africans were able to go different places, Africans went to places like Canada, Nova Scotia, went to Bermuda, Mm -hmm. went to Haiti, went to Cuba, uh, went to a lot of the islands and so forth and places in South America. So, as like I say in the book, if those of us who our ancestors left Africa enslaved 
if they had a passport, not only would it have multiple uh, deep parts where we departed from Africa, but it would have multiple multiple places where Africans also left when Africans left here to mm-hmm. go to different places mm-hmm. to be free from American states. So my point with that is I always say this and I express to my students, and this is on uh, day one on whatever course I teach, I let them know that the African-American experience or black history or however you term it is not just American history, because oftentimes it's said, well, black history is American history, so you don't have to say black history, it's American history. I say that it's world history. That's right. Yeah, for exactly. the very reason that, that I outlined, that it's world history. It's not just American history, and if you say it's just black history, then that narrows it as well. It's world history. It's a branch of world history, just yes. like a lot of other people have branches of world history. China and Chinese people, they have branches of world history. Right. Those of us who are here via the slave trade, we have branches of, of world history. Because as we were talking earlier, uh, I was telling you, you, both of you have relatives in places that you don't even know right now. Right. And those people are in Africa, and they could be somewhere in Cuba or uh-huh. the Dominican Republic. Exactly. Brazil. Absolutely. Yeah. Jamaica. That's you right. name it. I, yeah, I think I seen one of my cousins the other day. I just met him. You know, I said, man, you look just... I said, he was like, well, I me, brother. I you said, always say that. I see my brother, people all day be acting like me. I was like, what's bro? But, but that's the thing. That's what you bring up in, in the book. You said it in the book. We can't look at it as some little... Uh, they want to play us, but that's a part of the empires of the mind. You see, they try to minimize you in every way because... This thing here that they initiated hooked up Portugal. It started with Portugal when it was the Europeans. Can't forget you Arabs. Y'all was in it too. Yeah. People of color. But uh, we, we, we ought to talk about Portugal. Portugal. It hooked up Spain. You know, the first Americas, what they call is Latin America. That would have been the Americas, okay? Until, until the Anglos got in. You know, it, it, uh-huh. France, Britain. This was the world. That sugar was the world. Y'all need to... Walter Rodney said it's the world. You need to read this, but he got a whole... I like how you crammed all this history in brevity. But anyway, I'm sorry. Let me let me go on to question three. I really like this question. I really you gonna you gonna ooh okay okay here I go here I go. <laughs> Chap, okay. In the very first chapter, well the chapters are broken into concepts. So I don't say chapter, they're concepts. But I'm using that term. Listen, to audience, get the book. You need to read the book. Okay, it's on the website. Read the book. In the very first chapter of the book, you debunk the notion of Jeffersonian democracy as being the most virtuous and moral system of government ever known to man. For starters, you point to the fact that enslavement of Africans occurred under Jeffersonian democracy and that, quote, neither of these two words, democracy or equality, appears in either the U.S. Constitution or the Bill of Rights. Listen to that listening audience when y'all get to getting all emotional and y'all say, oh, da-da-da-da-da. Listen to what that is. That's page five when y'all get the book, page five. Basically, you prove that people can be governed under what is called a democracy and not possess sovereignty. And just because a government calls itself a democracy does not mean that and does not mean all citizens are equal or that all citizens have power. One of the many examples you give as to prove this point is an observation regarding the settler colonial polity of the state of Israel when you state. Now, this, I was like, woo, man, you, you was doing your research. 
Okay, I like this. I really like this quote. I like, like, I like a lot of quotes in the book, as you can see. Sorry. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. But uh, pal- quote, I'm quoting this. This is on page now. Palestinians, this is Palestinians... And uh, 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 Palestinians and Muslims, for example, can become citizens and even elected members of Israel's parliament. But as an Israeli communications minister, Ravin Revlin, once said of Israel, we are trying to convince the whole world there is no gap between Judaism and democracy. But when there is a conflict, remember, there is only one Jewish state. We have to keep it secure for its future. This is the state for Jewish people, not the state for all citizens. This, that has to be obvious. Um, since these ideas of Jeffersonian democracies are propagated by people who control what Churchill calls the empires of the mind, how does this, how, how do they manage to convince African people that we are a part of this framework and almost completely remove the idea or possibilities of us creating a, a sovereign African state or just a sovereign, uh, self-authentic freedom. How does removing these ideas from our understanding benefit them? You know, of, of us not understanding what what this Israeli communications minister said. Mm-hmm. Well, first, let's talk about the definition of, of sovereignty so everyone can, can be clear. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I've published my first book, uh, Pawn Sovereignty, in 2003. In 2004, the word sovereignty, I believe, was ranked ninth uh, as Webster's word of the year. And it was one of the most searched words that year. And it was basically related to Iraq and the war in Iraq. Because people, American public, for the first time, uh, the people were beginning to hear this word sovereignty, and it's so unfamiliar to people. So they Mm -hmm. began to search this term, sovereignty, thinking that it had some relation to insurgents or insurgency. (laughs) Okay. And, uh, in, 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 in fact, if you talk to political people, people in America, PhDs in political science and so forth, uh, I would bet they would tell you because I've surveyed enough of them to know that they'll tell you that in the whole whole process of getting their degree as, in, in in political science as a PhD, seldom had they encountered the word sovereignty and more than likely never in relation to U.S. politics. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why would it, why, how could you study that Poly- much of time, <laughs> that depth, and not come across the word sovereign? Exactly. Related to America. And I believe that it's deliberate. Mm-hmm. Because if you were to begin to study and dissect the word, you would at some point say, well, wait a minute, how does this apply to me? Because I'm reading about this high level of authority, this high level a responsibility, am I exerting this power or is this power being exerted upon me? Mm. So, you know, uh, I use a definition of sovereignty that stays within the margin of sovereignty being a modern notion of political authority and political power that's expressed through two things. 
practical institutions and political thought. Practical institutions, political thought. If you have these political thoughts, these ideas, and uh, they're expressed in your institutions, the highest of those institutions, of course, is self-government. But those institutions could be various things. Uh, it could be a flag. It could be a national anthem. You know, it could be having a cookout on a particular day to have fireworks and so forth. So, you know, those, you don't, what's, what's important to understand is you don't actually see sovereignty. You see products and symbols of sovereignty. All of those things, flags and national anthems and so forth. And, you know, it, it could be a drone flying across the globe, dropping a bomb on someone, you know, that type of expression of sovereignty. You know, it could be teaching first, first grade is the Pledge of Allegiance, all of those things. So it's a psychology that goes along with sovereignty. And that's important to understand. And that's why, whether it's terrorism today or uh, shooting black people on the streets, you often hear uh, the media and commentators talk about the narrative, the narrative, the narrative, the narrative. You know, what does that mean? Well, the narrative is associated with the psychology. And so at all times, whatever sovereign nation you're in, you're always surrounded by the influences and the thought processes of this psychology. And so African people in America could be here this length of time. And as I said, each generation growing further and further and further away from, from Africa and African ideals, and so ultimately, you know, you have a group of people who the term sovereignty becomes alien and absent, alien to the psychology, absent to discourse. So we're having this discussion about sovereignty, but it's always something alien and absent from discourse for black yeah. people because it's just something yeah. we're, we're unfamiliar with. It's like, what is that Jaron talking about? It doesn't make sense. Why? But it's important to understand that the world revolves around an axis of sovereignty and power, not yes. democracy or <laughs> equality. Yes. Yeah. That's right. So, the democracy and sovereignty, democracy and equality is something that may or may not happen along the way <laughs> of, <laughs> of Europeans. <laughs> seeking power and sovereignty. Right. And we, as African people, are a great example of that. That's it right. It happened along the way, you know, that they included us in democracy and made us believe that we're equal. Something that happened along the way. It's not the basis of Jeffersonian yes. democracy. Yes, yes, And so you have to intellectually understand the, those distinctions that I just outlined in order to really, A, understand sovereignty, B, understand democracy and equality, and C, rather those to the degree to which those things really apply to black people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shit. Real love. <laughs> yeah, right about there. 
never come out But we gotta wait till tomorrow Living on time, that's borrow Eat, drink and be merry today, B Cause tomorrow not promise Wait, can't us better be honest In terms of the struggle they got us Today they're allowed to define us From there we can see to defeat But we beat the seed of the promise But that ain't the way we were brought up Inferior shit that they taught us Cost us, our sense of ourselves Just keeping it real, we lost but We talk to shoot us Dead whenever we walk up Flat whenever police come Scared to death, you repeat some Hands up, don't shoot Chuck, you retreat from the face of the fear that they taught and put in his heart when he was a boy. They did it before he could walk. In fact, in the womb, a nigga was doomed. That was a part of the process. A need to impede your progress. A socio-economical need that you never leave the projects. Put in political context. This is the way they designed it. I'm Steve V. Bonneville Wallace. I got this. I'm conscious. I can see clearly now that the rain is gone. I can see all the obstacles my enemy put in my way. I can see clearly how we stuck in this struggle so long. I can see fine how they designed the system to lead us astray. I can see clearly now how all the guns and crack that flood in my hood did what it should because it was government backed. I can see clearly how my people still suffer from that. The same system created addiction and built many prisons for blacks. No weapon that they form against me shall prosper. I'll prosper regardless of how they offend. I descend from who God is in. My people were destined to win. My enemy has a predictable end. Scripted with a Men, my next of kin So there is no need to pretend That we can be friends Or that we living in Post-racial America win Obama got in They let us know then They never left 1910 They never did like my skin They rather I write for them Some ignorant ill That don't trigger the guilt But that ain't the way that I'm built The 13 shackles of silver you offer To some of these other rap authors Who poor and don't wanna be paupers Unapplicable to Stevie Can I use the paper? Believe me But I know the cost of improvers Are false and misleading The sheep is deceiving So whatever these niggas receiving you how to believe in consume my offering into material gods for corporate reasons i would consider it cheesing if they didn't come from where we did where poverty's concentrated in every man woman and child i don't need shit i can see clearly now that the rain is gone i can see all the obstacles my enemy put in my way i can see clearly how we stuck in this struggle so long i can see fine how they designed the system to lead us astray i can see clearly now how all the guns and crack that flood in my hood did what it should be Some say that my shit is just too dense for my audience I should do this in accordance with the rest to be rewarded I should dumb down for amusement, entertainment, and confusion In conclusion, if I lose them for refusing to delude men with rhythm But the blues been extracted like blackness from the culture and the practice I give you permission to capture my whole motherfucking career as whackness I know slackness is attractive, I adapt it My outer futures with fat asses on a pathlet to a masjid Every black bitch she was tagged with as a captive is redacted Oh, I tapped it, but I wrapped it in three-fourths And I may say I turn her And I made her my private dancer And I'm able to bake the cake And I may wanna eat the bitch too I'm laughing, cause many don't know what just happened This shit ain't ever just rapping It's sort of a double entendre Reminiscent of Willie Dixon Blind limousines singing Christians Aesthetically parchment's prison The way of oppressed musicians But that's only if you were listening I can see clearly now That the rain is gone I can see all the obstacles my enemy put in my way I can see clearly how we stuck in this struggle so long. I can see fine how they designed the system to lead us astray. I can see clearly now how all the guns and crack that flood in my hood did what it should because it was government backed. I can see clearly how my people still suffer from that. The same system created addiction and built many prisons for blacks.
I never thought about that before, so I'm just thinking about it now. Yeah, you, you, you should see her eyes over here. She's like looking up, and I'm like, "Is everything all right over there?" She's like, "Yeah, damn, yeah, okay." But uh, no, that's so. I mean, that's the empires of the mind. That's the empires of the mind. They yeah. control the narrative. I remember Amy, I saw Amos Wilson say several times. He goes, "They on these media, they tell you where the conversation, what the like you said, the narrative is going to be." And like you said, if you happen to get you a little democracy and equality and get you some ice cream and have a cup of coffee yeah. and a hot dog with some white folks, that's okay. That's a bu- bonus. But that's not it what may, we're here for. Right, right yeah. May um, or may not happen. Look at South Africa. Mm-hmm. That, that's a, that was a democracy. Yes. Right, supposedly. Supposedly. May or may not have happened, you know, for <laughs> African people. You know, mm-hmm. like, so these terms are, are relative. And that's why I said... It's 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 important for Black people in 2016 in this 21st century to sit down and and begin to incorporate this consciousness and concept of sovereignty in our discourse, so we can really see what we do and what we don't have, and what mm. really needs to be understood. Mm. Because it's not about kicking in white people's doors with combat boots and tams on and looking like we from the 60s with big afros. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about it's about understanding that. It's a consciousness. Yes. It's a concept. And that it's applied, whether it's in political thought or practical institution, and there can be varying degrees of this political thought in those practical institutions that are put into practice. It, 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 you're just saying it's so true because it's like, you know, I remember um, when, whenever you go about a problem, and trying to and trying to figure something out. I remember I, I actually heard heard Amos Wilson say like, you don't start off from what you don't have. You start off from what you need. You say, okay, we need this, we need this, and then you'll figure out what you don't have. And like you said in the book, this you know this isn't even radical. And I know some people say, well, radical means the root. But you said this is this should be seen as rational. Do, do you see what I'm oh, saying? Yeah, this should definitely absolutely. this is, this should be like two plus two. You even say that two plus two equals four and stuff like that. Not five. This is not like because you know it's funny. I mean, this is uh, July 23rd, 2016. We all know what's happening in the world. It's like there's this new thing that's been sprung upon us. Every five minutes, we wake up and find out America's racist. Oh, my God, let's have a talk. Let's have a talk. We have to relearn it. We have to relearn it. We have to relearn it. But, you know, this we're not asking the appropriate, you know, instead of, I hear a lot of people bandying out that moving target. We're going to get free. We're going to get free. We're going to get liberation. We're going to get free. We're going to get free. I never hear... Sovereignty. I never hear uh-huh. institutions. I never hear, we're going to build us a hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to go to the uh, 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 doctor the other day. I go to the doctor. You know, there's a big old, it's a, it's a Methodist hospital. It's a big old Jesus and all this stuff and a bunch of Jesus stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not Christian. You know what I'm saying? Look at that institution. Right. I still have to go yeah, through that institution. Have to go there. Where's, Gar- <laughs> where's Garvey Medical? Where's Garvey Medical? Where's Desaline Medical? You see what I'm saying? Before we define freedom and y'all just going to go watch Beyonce at the Super Bowl again and say, oh, she freed us. Because I heard some of you say that. Okay? I heard some of you say that. You see, we, 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 we're not being quiet. They, but they, cha- they train us to be emotional. But um, I, had, go, go I did have something that I, when I was thinking, I, it made me think about Chinwezu because Chinwezu breaks down what you broke down in the beginning about World War II and how... 
you know, basically uh-huh. Europeans said, oh, man, this is changing. So we got to kind of bring in and kind of loosen up certain things on our colonies and, and do the structural adjustments you were talking about. And that made me uh-huh. think about what you said about essentially that's what that was, that the democracy was a byproduct, right? So the original goal was to accumulate as much as you could. Empires. Right, have as many colonies as possible. And then when you get, when there's a challenge from Germany, when there's a challenge from Japan, oh man, you know, okay, so now we got to have some kind of democracy so that we can, you know, we can use our colonies and have them fight our wars and everything. So you got to free them up, you know? And so it that that's what I was thinking is like, that's that's exactly what that was when Chuezu breaks that down like how you broke down. It's it's exactly it was democracy on the way. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, let's go on to number the next question. Uh, the, the next question I want to talk to you about your chapter. Racism is the unprincipled relationship between Black America and the government. Um, you know. You talk about you. I, I literally, you really get to the heart of what you des- describe as the unprincipled relationship Africans in America have with the United States. And I like how you bring up the example of our great emancipator, Lincoln. Yeah, <laughs> even Barack Obama. Begrudgingly, you point out in the Time Magazine, 2005 Time Magazine, actually had to say, "Well, it's a military document." You know, it didn't really read nobody. Basically, Lincoln was saying, "Look here, uh, y'all get down with the Union, or I'm gonna take your property." And, and, and Africans, y'all. In this country, saying, well, what was the property? Was they going to take the white folks' car? No, you were the property, okay? That's all he was saying. You know, I'm I'm going to repossess you stuff. And that was you, black people, African people. Sorry, not African-American, because I don't know when they hit the button. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, I don't (laughs) know. What's the cutoff? What's the cutoff? (laughs) And and then they said some of us came came over here as African workers, as workers. (laughs) We didn't have no jobs in Africa. Yeah. Damn it! But I want to. I want to. I, I have to read this. What your quote? I'm and I am reading quite a lot from because there's a lot of stuff in here. Y'all need to read from. But I have to. I have to ask this because it's, it's my. I have to read this because my next question. I want you to break it on down because we kind of talked about this last time. You see, I remember. I remember. I remember. I, remember, I was ready. We was ready. Let me. Conf- this is Ezra. This is Ezra. Let me confirm something universal that extends beyond Black America. Which is that any group of people who find themselves mm, 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 walking around in the 21st century with signs and t-shirts to convey to a government that their lives matter is unmistakably in an unprincipled relationship with that government, period. And this applies doubly. So if the government allowed unprincipled issues to fester, uncorrected for centuries. And that's in quote, because I want to tell y'all, so that was a long time ago. Uh-uh. That wealth was accumulated a long time ago. You t- a point of, a point, uh, a consequence of an event don't end if it's point of its occurrence. You know, don't, you know what I'm saying? Just because the event's over with, you still reap assets. That's why you invest your money. Then you get just something called dividends. Ooh, because I did it a long time ago and it's still making me money. All right. I want, thinking about what you said there, that was on page 24. I, I want you uh-huh. to, could you go into more detail about this unprincipled relationship we have with the United States, African people, and relate this to the quote to what you have termed, I love this term, the Selma psychology. Oh, okay. Uh, the term unprincipledness, I use that to even supersede racism. Mm-hmm. Because once you say racism, people think that it's something, you know, that exists between, you know, one group and another group. But when 
I'm talking about unprincipledness. I'm speaking of in a universal sense. I'm talking about having morals, having scruples, identifying and practice practicing things of humanity that uh, all people should be afforded. Mm-hmm. You know, because you talk about racism, then it becomes debatable. Oh well, you know, he. I thought he had a gun. Uh, you know, he moved. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, just like when I was going to put the handcuffs on them, you know. Now, when you get into unprincipledness, now we're talking about a high level of human interaction that things should be naturally accorded to people, regardless of who they are, and it should be the basis of all relationships. But Jeffersonian democracy is deliberately designed with unprincipled ways, it's deliberately designed with deceptive practice. And all of these things have proven to be insufficient, have proven to be unsuitable to really redress the racial complexities that Jeffersonian democracy deliberately created. So it's like you're looking for the answer within the problem. And that becomes a problem because we begin to accept, as we begin to accept standards, we begin to accept their norms as our standards. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem because it's, you know, it's a norm. It's not a standard. It's just something that exists. Mm -hmm. And in the process, you know, Euro, Euro Americans, you know, they have been benefited in consequence of this unprincipledness. And so unprincipledness exists on all levels. It exists, as you said, within the Emancipation Proclamation that Lincoln could have freed Africans in the territories that the Union controlled, but he did not do that. He, as a military uh, measure, only on paper of free Africans in places that he didn't have any authority. The 13th Amendment, unprincipled. On one hand, it says it is abolishing slavery, but yet it says that slavery can exist as a punishment for a crime. That's still the amendment that ex- that exists today. The language is the very same language. That has not changed. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, the 13th Amendment is only 43 words. How can you end centuries of slavery with 43 words. Yes. So, like I said in the book, it, it takes more words to stop two five-year-olds from fighting over a box of crayons. <laughs> <laughs> but yet, in an unprincipled fashion, this is the way that this government has flung us around. And then when racism occurs in 2016, People act surprised. Yep. Because you have on nice clothes, you know, the the roads are paved, the buildings are tall, the lights are bright. <laughs> What's the problem? You know, you're not mm-hmm. in Africa starving. You know what? What's the problem? Mm-hmm. Why would you know? And 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 so the unprincipledness it goes on and on and on and on and on, and somebody has to stop it and say, wait a minute, 
not even about racism. It's about your unprincipledness mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, exactly. your, and the unprincipled design of the government and sovereignty that you established. Mm-hmm. You can go on and on and on with, 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 with unprincipledness. And so uh, I give an array of examples in, in the book of how unprincipledness plays a part in our daily lives, and it's rooted in this period of 1776 when the clock of American democracy began to officially run. Uh, these unprincipled factors were baked into the cake, metaphorically, of Americanization that, you know, you, you, you can't unbake it because it, it's, 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 it's in there. And the psychology is pervasive. So even though uh, people may feel as though, you know, they have a black friend and it makes them not racist or, you know, they, they go to a black church every now and then so they're not racist, you know, there's a prevailing psychology that uh, is there. And so th- that unprincipledness, it, it, you know, it hasn't left the building yet. And, and it's a big problem. Yeah, and how, and you so know, there's, oh, go ahead, go ahead. there's a second part to the question. Yeah, the, and I want to know how that uh, uh, that translates into the Selma psychology that that we oh, engage okay. into. Well, well, I talk about that in the sense that um, there tends to be this nostalgic relation to what happened in the '60s, you know, and. Uh, you constantly hear Selma and Dr. King and, you know, nonviolence and, you know, all of these things. And that was great for that time. But the world has moved on. Oh, God. Oh, yes. my goodness. We have the Internet. Far beyond. Far, and we're going to go get some. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Right. So I, I say, you know, if you don't understand the world in greater depth than Dr. King today, then something is wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Me in trouble. That person, yeah. you in trouble. I ain't in no, trouble. Well, that's no. true. You in trouble. <laughs> right. So, you know, in a geopolitical way, in an ideological way, you know, you have to understand the drive that now grieves the engines of, of this world. Yes. And, you know, where you sit on the bus, whether it's the front or the back, is secondary you understanding that that bus was manufactured somewhere and there's rubber on the tires that came from somewhere and the chromium for the body that came from somewhere and the, the oil and gas came from somewhere. So where you sit on the bus is relatively cosmetic as opposed to you understanding the geopolitics of that bus. Mm. Mm. You know, so you know, we can't be continually stuck, oh, Lord Selma, oh, Lord Selma. <laughs> you know, that's a problem. It is. It's, it's a big problem. Man, it's like we got the internet. They got drones. They got Terminator drones looking like this. You know what I'm saying? When I was a kid. But then we're going to say, Selma. Like you said, we don't understand the geopolitics. We still don't know about... Cold tan coming out of Congo, but we like our cell phones. And right? like you always say, nobody ever talks about neoliberalism. Yeah. 
<laughs> that word never comes out of anybody's mouth. You know, they, 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 it's, it's a bunch of mean-spirited racists that are closing down right. our public schools <laughs> as opposed to something called neoliberalism yeah. and the privatization and the closing down uh, of, exactly. of, of what state-funded sectors. And it, it began in the late 70s and early 80s with Margaret Thatcher and her husband, Ronald Reagan. That's a joke. They weren't really married, okay? <laughs> they weren't really married. Listen, y'all. I, I kid, but the president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, and the British Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> oh, Margaret, Maggie. But, uh... Also, um, yeah, exactly. So, um, did you were you gonna say something? Yeah, I was gonna say something about how I I like how you broke it down and you said as opposed to using the word racism because it's racism is always about just getting people to like you. It's really not about whether or not they like you or not. It's not about that at all. Like that is so not what it is because when you say that we have these unprincipled relationships, that is the tactics and methods of somebody dominating you. So they can keep control. It's it's not even about whether or not they like you as a person. Like you said, you can go to the movies with me. We can go and hang out. We can go to the same church. But I still want to make sure I got control. And, you know, and when I say I, I'm talking about Europeans. It has absolutely nothing to do with like or dislike. I can't stand it when people describe things that way because the more you study and think about these things, it's like, that is such a ruse. You know, like, that's just a ruse. Racism is a ruse. You know, colorism is a ruse. So you won't look at the real issue in hand, you know? So I just, I like that that term, unprincipled. All right, so, and I just want to say, before we get into the next question, is, are you going to take it over? Uh, I just want to say, uh, Treaty of Paris, as opposed to the 13th Amendment. 13th Amendment, 43 words. Treaty of Paris, 2008 words. Ezra pointed that out. Mm-hmm. Treaty of Paris. And if, listen to the audience, if you don't know what the Treaty of Paris is, then you ain't going to make it anyway. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Treaty look of Paris. Look it up. Look, look it up. up. Golly, look up something. Do something. Critical consciousness. But let me say this. <laughs> let me say this real quick. The, 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 the Treaty of Paris, which uh, ended the uh, Revolutionary War when America uh, was able to gain its, its real independence, um, it, the contrasting document that I use the 13th Amendment. Of course, an amendment is not a treaty, yes. but we don't have a treaty. So that's why I use the amendment, just in case somebody said, oh, well, amendments are short and brief anyway. But I'm saying that to say that that is the document that they gave. relates to yes. right, the freedom. That's, that's how deep and it is. it says that slavery can exist as a punishment for a crime. So that in itself is, is unprincipled. That's an unprincipled. It's the it's the irony and it's unprincipled because they get treaties, you get an amendment, and then like you said, somebody yeah. would be so stuck in uh, uh, empiricist logic and say, "Well, amendments are supposed to be short," but right. uh, first of all, who the one who decreed this amendment? Wasn't us. And y'all get treated, y'all bring in. It was an international decree. Look here, France, you ain't gonna raid right. over here. You ain't gonna come over here. We colonizing this baby. So, yeah, go ahead. You want to go next and question? And that's why I have to say treaties can't be broken because treaties are broken all the time. Oh, of course. Of course. One of the, like, one of the important things is that treaties are signed. Mm-hmm. And oh, so the point yes. that needs to be understood is that I want to see the document that we have assigned. And so that's and that right. That's right. Because we never signed anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, what was what is the agreement? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, uh, man, you th- exactly. and, and it also goes to 
how they even think about when they want to deal with you, yeah. right? Yeah. When they deal with each other, I know I'm going to have to sign me a contract. When I deal with you, I can give you any old thing. Uh-huh. I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Yeah. You, don't, you don't get anything without signing today, right? You sure don't. You have to sign. That's yeah. right. You have to sign. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Everything, everywhere you have to, you have to sign something. Exactly. All right, everybody. That was our episode for the Constantization 101 podcast. And if you want to finish listening to this entire interview, which you do, okay, you want to hear the whole interview. We had much more that we talked about. So, I mean, and and it's a really, really important interview. I know we always say that. All of them are important. So, hey, check it out, you know, in its entirety. And so, in order to do that, all you have to do is go to our store at shop.conscientization101.com. That is shop, S-H-O-P as in Peter, dot C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N-T-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N dot com. Okay, so there you will have access to not only this interview, but to all of C101's unabridged interviews, musical commentaries, and merchandise. And don't forget that that will be supporting 100% independent media. This episode has featured sounds from Logic and Last Resort, and the track was Call for Revolution Instrumental from their album True Talk, The Instrumentals, and Wise Intelligent, the track is called Clearly from his album Wise Intelligent is Stevie Bonneville Wallace, Back to School, Fourth Period. And as usual, links to the featured music are available in our show notes. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conscient1, that's C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N, and the number one, on Facebook at Conscientization101, and Instagram at C101Editors. Also, go to the site at Conscientization101.com or C101Magazine.com and sign up for that mailing list, because that is where you will get all kinds of cool information And you can get exclusive downloads, all that good stuff. So don't forget, go sign up for the mailing list. All right, everybody. We will see y'all next time. time.